0: Hey, everybody, welcome to No One Told Me, where hindsight is everything. My name is Callie, and if it's your first time listening, please know that our prayer, our hope, our ultimate desire for these episodes is that you feel seen in your season. Wherever you're at, whatever you're walking through, whether it's joy and celebration, whether it's anger and frustration, whether it's sadness and loneliness, whatever season it is, that you feel seen. And if there's ever, ever a time where you feel the most unseen and the most isolated, it's in the seasons of waiting. No one asks for them, no one wants them, and yet we all go through them. And so in this specific episode that we did this past summer during our Summer Collective Series, we talked about how do we wait well? And the stories that the two women at the end of this episode bring, these are powerful stories. These are stories that will stick with you. And I hope the lessons that they bring along with these stories are something that stick with you as well. So I'm so excited that you push play and I can promise you if there's ever an episode that you are going to be better for listening to, it's this one. Last week, I put something out on no one told me stories on Instagram. And I said, Hey, what does waiting feel like to you all? And the reason I know that this topic is so real for you guys is we have never gotten as much feedback as we got on this topic, whether it was questions turned in or whether it was you all just saying how it feels. And so I want to share a little bit of your words. I think it's the best way to start. You said waiting feels like longing, but it often looks like striving. Waiting just feels long, excruciatingly long. Someone else said, I just keep wondering, did I make a misstep? I must have done something wrong to be here. It feels like God is waiting on me to learn something, but I haven't yet. So he keeps me in the same place. One person just sent a one word answer and it was anxiety. So I want to ask you all who, who feels like they're waiting on something right now? I do. It obviously varies for everyone. I believe that most seasons come with some type of waiting. So someone who's here for the first time, they said, what are, what's the age demographic that's usually here. And it's really honestly all over the place, but I think it doesn't matter your age. I think every season you step into comes with a little bit of that waiting piece. And some is, you know, you're waiting in anticipation. Some you're waiting in desperation. Some it's in frustration. Some it's in anger. Some it's in bitterness. For me, it's a little bit of all of those things, right? Some days it's good. And some days it sucks to be quite honest with you. but. You know, if you just got out of high school or you're in college or you're waiting for the job or you're waiting for the college acceptance letter, you're waiting for the ring, you're waiting for the plus sign on a pregnancy test, you're waiting for the opportunity that you think you've worked hard for and you know you deserve every season. It might look different, but it comes with just that little piece of waiting. And the hardest part about it all is that you rarely choose it, right? Like you don't sign up for this. Some are waiting for a beginning, some are waiting for an ending, and some are just waiting for both. Last week, Ryan and I, we were in Maine, and I don't know why Maine. Everyone, like, everyone, every time I said Maine, they're like, oh, oh like, that's really weird, but I'm going to pretend like I'm interested, which is fair. Thank you all for pretending to be interested. But we made our way up to Acadia National Park. And so up in that park, they have a mountain. It's called Cadillac Mountain. And it is where you can see the first hints of sunrise in the U.S. So it's the most northeastern point in the U.S., like the highest peak to be able to see the sunrise. And so I'm like, I'm trying to make memories on this. trip. You know, when you're like forcing memory making, you're like, we're, we are going to have a good time and we're going to remember this and we're going to love it. And so I was like, we're going to do this. We are going to go to the sunrise. And so then I Googled, when does the sun rise on Cadillac Mountain? And it was at 4.56 a.m. That's upsetting. Okay. Because I I guess I knew it'd be early, but that's absurd. And we were also an hour away from there. So Ryan looks at me and he was like, what are we going to do? And I was like, I think, you know what we're going to do. We're going to go, we're going to do this. So we got up at 3 a.m. and we drove the hour to Cadillac Mountain. We parked and we walked out to this cliff. There were just like this hints of color coming to the sky. And we found our spot on the edge of this cliff where you just overlook the ocean and like the eastern horizon. And there was only maybe, maybe a dozen other people out there with us. And it was just silent. No one was saying a word. I mean, the only thing you could hear was the water hitting the edge of the cliff at the bottom. You could hear the bell of a ship that was docked a little ways off and just an occasional seagull. We all just face ourselves east and we just wait and we watch. And slowly the sky turns to this soft gray color. And then you see a little bit of color coming up with the pinks and the oranges. And then within 20 to 30 seconds, the sun is up. It's like you sit and you wait in this anticipation, and the sky is slowly changing. And then all of a sudden, here is this ball full of light and it colors the entire sky. The whole experience was maybe 20 minutes. But what was most interesting to me was one, the silence of the moment as this whole new day began. You're sitting there and you're thinking, what is it going to be? What's it going to look like? What are, what's going to happen? And then it happens, and everything that you wanted to happen. All of a sudden is, and you're just watching it. When I thought back to that, I thought what was interesting is the layers. It starts in darkness, black darkness. Up there, there is no city lights, obviously. It is just pitch black. Like Ryan wanted to bring a headlamp, and I had to draw a line somewhere. Like we are not. You're not coming out in a headlamp and your Crocs and your zip off pants. He just, he does the zip off pants. Like, and he says, What if I get too hot and need to de pant? And I'm just, that's not a problem. That's not a real problem. But I mean, it's like pitch black dark. And then it's this soft gray. And then these offshoots of color. And then the fullness of light is all of a sudden there. And I think waiting is layered as well. So in the darkness of waiting, you're what? You're angry you're bitter, you're uncertain, you want to know why me, why now, there's a lot of whys, right? I mean, I just two weeks ago was writing in my journal one morning. And if you go back to that page, all you see in big, bold letters is what do you want me to do? I was angry that I was made to wait as long as I've been waiting. A friend of mine, she actually shared some of her journal with me when we were talking about this topic, and I specifically um, related to what she wrote in February of 2020. She said, I keep feeling frustrated and devastated that I'm not where I want to be or who I want to be. I want to be fixed. I want him to take me out of this. And when I get the most frustrated, I just want to work harder. I want to grit my teeth and just do it myself. But then I end up getting tired and quitting. The pain is too much for me to bear. I know the answer is that he does the work, all of the verses attached to bring it to completion, say that God fulfills his purpose for me, not me. I don't do it myself. First Thessalonians 24, he will surely do it. But my first thought is, how do I get him to do it? That is what darkness feels like, right? That first layer of waiting. And then there's that gray area where you're still waiting but you're like, this isn't going to change anytime soon. I don't like it, but I guess I just have to be here. You're not so much trying to claw your way out. You're just sitting in frustration at that point, right? And the silence that you feel and hear is still pretty deafening. But then you get those offshoots of color, a little bit of color to the waiting. And you're like, okay, maybe something's changing here. Maybe I'm shifting into something new. Maybe a new opportunity pops up. And then there's that fullness of light phase, where you're like, Hey, I might still be waiting, but you're confident in the waiting. You're like, I'm good. I can wait. You know, if you're like me, I wrote that. And I was like, I'm a, I'm just trying to get to that last part. You know, like I'm trying to get to this fullness of light part because I've done I've done up and down these other three. Like I've fluctuated because the here's the layers of waiting. You go back and forth between them. It's not like a step process because if I could give you a five-step process of how to get out of the waiting, believe me, I would do it, but I would also charge you because that's a good way to make money. But the problem is It's just not that easy. And we're fluctuating between these things over and over again. And all we want is out of the cycle, right? Like we're kind of tired of the cycle. But what I want to talk about is how we wade through those layers of waiting. And so I've spent the past few months walking through the Old Testament. And can I tell you what there is a lot of in the Old Testament? There's a whole lot of idols, So Israel is the nation that God was like, hey, I promise you, I'm going to get you to the promised land. And then I'm, I am your God. You are my people. I am for you. I'm going to do all this for you. And these poor Israelites, they're just like, oh, are you okay? Let me build this idol over here because you're not doing it the way I thought you would do it. So I'm going to build this over here and I'm going to worship this instead. Right? So idols are human made, made by human hands. And there's something that come up a lot of times when you see them, when the people of Israel are building them, it's because they just aren't seeing God the way that they thought they would see God. Does that sound kind of familiar? Right? Like we're not seeing God the way we thought we would see him. He's not doing what we thought he would do on our behalf. I mean, even Solomon, who is said over and over again to be the wisest man ever, he turned to idols at the end of his life. An idol is anything that is at the center of your life that if removed, you wouldn't know who you are. An idol is anything at the center of your life that is not god that is not your relationship with jesus anything that holds that place is an idol and one of the first verses that i memorized you know other than john 3:16 which yes and then also a little brief stint and like a wannas, do you remember when you had like your vest and you got patches for memorizing verses and i remember being 6 years old and i couldn't read and it's like memorize the word begot like begot his only son. I'm like, what is that? I don't even know what that word means. So quit, quit Awanas. So maybe second verse I memorized was Proverbs four twenty three, which is guard your heart for it is the well spring of life. So 14 year old me, was like, oh yeah, I got to remember that because you know these boys they come running to like my braces and like my middle part with my freckles and I hadn't quite hit puberty, you know, like all these boys are going to come running and I got to be ready to guard my heart. No, you know, like I'm saving myself. No, you can't have this. But I think we we mess that up a little bit because it's so much more than just like making sure your heart doesn't get broken. Look at look at how New Living Translation says it: guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. The message paraphrase says, keep vigilant watch over your heart because that's where life starts. So what is seated in your heart is running your life. What you're allowing space for in your heart is speaking into the decisions that you are making It's speaking into the life that you are living right now. So I want to ask what is what's seated in your heart? If you pulled out a piece of paper and you thought, what do my thoughts flow from? What are they centered on? What do I think about when I'm trying to make a decision? What um, do I talk about most? What have you allowed there? Because you've allowed it there, good or bad. You've made the room for it to be there. Now, I told you the Old Testament is full of idols, right? But it's full of people worshiping these idols. Now, Old Testament worship, it wasn't just like us when we're like, you know, just a little like, oh, look, I've got my hand up a little bit. God, this is, hello. They are on their face, right? They're down on their knees. That was what worship looked like for them a lot of the time. So they had these idols and they're just on their knees in front of them, on their face, worshiping these idols. And God called prophets forward all the time over and over again to call out these idols in the lives of other people. So he would call these prophets and these were just men that he selected to speak on behalf of himself. A couple of the guys we'll talk about, these are guys that he called up and is like, you're going to speak on my behalf to these people who are not getting it right. We're going to unseat these idols and you're going to help me do it. So one of them we're going to talk about tonight, his name is Ezekiel and God takes these prophets and is like, Hey, I'm going to put you in the worst situation. And you're just gonna have to trust that I'm gonna get you back out of it. But you're gonna have to walk in and tell people they're doing something wrong, which some of us are like, yeah, I love to do that. Whereas me, it's like, hey, you know, like maybe don't do that anymore. Oh, you still want to? Okay, that's great. Good, talk to you later. But he's like, no, I'm empowering you to go and do this. So Ezekiel we find him um, in Ezekiel 14. So all of Israel's leaders, they're worshiping these idols, right? And they show up at Ezekiel's house. They sit down at his table and they're like, man, we really need some answers to some questions. We know Ezekiel knows a few things. So Ezekiel, you're our guy. You tell us what we need to do. God says to Ezekiel in fourteen three. he says, son of man, these leaders have set up idols in their hearts. They have embraced things that will make them fall into sin. Why should I listen to their requests? I don't want us to miss how specific God is in this. These leaders have set up idols in their hearts. So it's not, they're just going and looking at these idols. It's not, they're just kind of thinking about here. They have set up idols in their hearts. Think about set up, like that means it took work. It took attention. It took intentionality. And then look what it says next. They have embraced things. Can we talk about what embrace means for just a second? Who are you embracing? You're not embracing somebody that you just kind of know. Like those are your side hug kind of people, you know, or like your high fibers. like good to see you, you know, that's good. The people you're embracing are the people you know best, the people you love most, the people who speak the most into your life that you trust the most. That's who you're embracing, right? And God is saying, hey, they're embracing idols. They're not just looking at them. They have embraced them fully into their lives. Now, I love how specific that is because he says they embrace things that will make them fall into sin. That's a three-step process, right? Like you've set up the space for them. You've allowed them in. You've given them a little crack in the door. You've embraced them fully into your life. And guess what happens next? whether you mean for it to or not, sin. Right? Let's go back. Proverbs 4.23. Guard your heart for out of it flows your life. Do you see that connection? When you're not guarding your heart, you are setting up something else in it that was never supposed to be there look how strongly God feels about idols. Ezekiel 14, 4, tell them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. The people of Israel have set up idols in their hearts, and they have fallen into sin. And then they go to a prophet asking for a message. So I, the Lord, will give them the kind of answer that their great idolatry deserves. I will do this to capture the minds and hearts of all of my people who have turned from me to worship their detestable idols. He is not playing around. I know that was back then, but even reading that, does that not remind you of a just God who's like, I'm not messing around with this right now, right? And what he is getting at is because whatever is on the throne of your heart, that is what your thoughts are going to. It's what your resources are going to. It's what your decisions are flowing out of. It is what you are worshiping. And God says, hey, I'm I'm the only one who deserves your worship. I who created you, I gave you an intentionality and a unique purpose. I made you all that you are. I deserve your worship and nothing else, but you are giving it to something else. And so here's what I have to say about it. A few verses later, God spells it out. He says, I want them to repent. I want them to turn away from these idols and I want them to stop their sin. Again, you see that three-step process? Repent. I want them to recognize something is wrong. You know, like and I think we can hear this and we're like, hey, we don't, we don't sit at the feet of any statues. I don't have like a little baby Buddha in my backyard. You know, like I don't, I'm not doing any of that. I'm not going to temples and worshiping, but let me tell you again, what an idol is. It's anything at the center of your heart, um, on the throne of your heart that is not God. So it's a relationship, right? That you know is not making you better. Even if it is making you better, doesn't, does not deserve the throne of your heart. It's a job that you're like, man, I'm good at this. And we're going to keep climbing. We keep making my way up. It does not deserve the throne of your heart, right? It's a future that you dream about, right? It's any of these things. It's not, I think we fool ourselves if we think it's like, some stature. This is the Old Testament. Everything in the Bible is there for a reason. And there is a reason that the entirety of first Kings is only about Kings who got put into a place of power to represent God who fail because they worship idols. There is a reason God wanted that in his word. So it goes on. He says, repent, turn away from these idols, stop your sin. That is the order it works. And then in verse 11, he says in this way, the people of Israel will learn not to stray from me, polluting themselves with sin. They will be my people and I will be their God. So, you know, I said, God's been teaching me a whole lot about idols and the pain that comes with tearing them down. So I was reading through first Kings. I was seeing these Kings that were like, gosh, they got put in such a great position. And then they like, Hey, it's not that hard. Just like obey God and don't worship anything else. Why is this so hard for you? And God was like, Hey, why is this any different for you? You're looking at them like it's a them thing. It's a you thing. And let me tell you why. I think that many of us are making idols out of our waiting. I believe that this season of waiting is seated on the throne of your heart. And every morning you wake up and that's the first thing you think about is when is it going to be over? You do a quiet time and you think, hey, God, when is this going to be over? Right, you pray and you say, Here's what I want, just a reminder what I want to happen. Your thoughts, your conversations, everything is revolving around when is this waiting going to be over? We have built an altar around when will that opportunity come? When will he ask that question? When will I get that promotion? When will I get to do what I know I should be doing? When will that fresh wind come through? And we go sit. At that altar every day, but we want we want to be holy about it, right? I've caught myself saying this. I'm like, I'm waiting on God. It's fine. This is good. I'm waiting on God, and I cannot tell you how clearly God was like, "Hey, excuse me, I'm here, but you can't see me because all you're looking at is what you want instead." And I've not moved from where I'm at. I am still fully present with you, but all you see is what you want and what isn't, and I am all that is. You may only feel God's silence. I I do at times. It's why I wrote, what do you want me to do? Because all I could feel was his silence, but don't mistake the absence of his voice as the absence of his presence until all we want is his presence. I wonder if we'll just stay in silence. I wonder if we won't move from this place of waiting until all we want is his presence instead of the result of what we're waiting for. So I know for me, I was like, okay, how do, I, how do I know if what I'm waiting on is an idol? And the biggest red flag I could think of and come up with, and the biggest red flag that I've navigated myself and that I, I partner with others in navigating is if there's someone else in your life, an acquaintance, a friend, a family member, and they move forward, they take a step. You all know where I'm going with this. They take a step forward They get something that you wanted. They do something that you thought you would want to do. And all you can think of is, why is that not me? I would say that your waiting has become an idol. God wants the throne of your heart. I mean, he deserves, honestly, he deserves the throne of your heart. And it's time that we move whatever is sitting there instead. It's time that we look hard at what is sitting there instead. And it's going to require a lot of surrender. And the most important part for me was it required a recognition that I'm not a victim of waiting because I feel like that's the tone we take a lot is this is unfair. This shouldn't be happening to me. And I think we get stuck in that. It doesn't make it hear me when I say it does not make it less painful. I know that there are so many people in this room that are in a painful season of waiting. And so I want to be careful saying that, but it's one of those things where you let If you are letting that pain be the only definer of you, we have to take a step back and we have to do the painful, painful, hard work of why is this all I think about? Why is this all that I want? And I think that's why how you wait matters so much. So, I mean, are you complaining? Are you bitter? Are you angry? Is this waiting shaping your heart to be something that God never wanted it to be? It has for me. Because I'm, I'm tired, right? I mean, that's like the number one sign of waiting for me is I am just, I am so tired. But I'm learning that how I wait is directly related to how long this season of waiting is. Because I believe with time, I think waiting transforms into abiding. When I deconstruct this altar that I've built to what I want to happen and instead let my heart's concern be only with being at the feet of Jesus, the presence of Jesus and carrying that presence out and making his name known and showing his trustworthiness and showing his faithfulness. When I'm more concerned with bringing him glory, this whole waiting thing, it becomes far less about me and it becomes a whole lot more about him. And so when I say, you know, waiting shifts to abiding, abiding means lasting a long time, enduring. That's the kind of waiting I want to do. I want that endurance in the waiting, right? I want to keep running hard in the waiting. And when we shift from waiting to abiding, these seasons become less about what we want and so much more. And I know you have probably heard this somewhere, read it on an Instagram post, seen it on a, on a poster, but don't miss the significance of it. When what we are waiting on becomes we are abiding in, these seasons become less about what we want and more about who we are and who we are becoming in the waiting. John 15, 4, abide in me and I will abide in you. Remember what God said to Ezekiel? He said, you will be my people and I will be your God. So abide in me and I will abide in you. Wait in me and I will wait in you. Remember Proverbs four twenty three. guard your heart because from it, flows your life. So what you are allowing in your heart, what you are allowing on the throne of your heart will determine how you wait. How you wait will feed how long the season is. Don't mistake his silence as the absence of his presence. So I just want to leave you with this question. What story do you want to tell about this season of your life? Because you will tell the story someday. If we are doing what we're doing here right, it means that you are going to pour into someone coming behind you because that is the heart behind this. People who are a little bit ahead can turn around and say, here's what I wish I had known. Here's what I wish I had done different. So what story are you going to tell about this season of your life? Because I can tell you the one I want to tell. I want it to be one of determined faithfulness. I want it to be one of like, man, I got to know Jesus real good in that season. I want it to be one that I'm proud of, that I knew who I was in it. But remember, your life flows out of what is seated on the throne of your heart. So ask yourself this week, what is sitting on the throne of my heart right now? What do I think the most about? What do I want to talk the most about? What do I wake up thinking about? What do I go to sleep thinking about? What if removed would lead to you not knowing who you are? If it's taken away, would you not know who you are anymore? Because I think a lot of us, me included, have built an altar to our waiting. And I, I can't say it how much I believe. The sooner we start deconstructing these altars and these idols, I think it's the sooner we're going to see a group of women who are so confident in what God has called them to do. Even in their seasons of waiting, they know they still have a purpose. They still have something to do. It's not just wait and see what happens. It's wait and do something. Do what you know. And so tonight, we're going to have my friends Mindy and Katie. I'm going to invite them to go ahead and come up. They are two that just immediately came to mind on uh, this topic specifically. And so I invited them up. Mindy, can I just tell you, my friend Mindy, she is, I was telling someone else this, like she doesn't waste time on small talk she's just like, let's just cut right to it. She asked things with such a sincerity and authenticity that you're like, I'm going to tell you my whole life right now. I don't know you, but I'm going to tell you every dark secret that I have. So, and then Katie, you know, Kelly, who shared here a couple times, Katie's one of her best friends. And Kelly was like, you need Katie for this topic. These are questions that you all submit every week. Right. And I just kind of put them all in little categories and we, we just roll with it. So Mindy, let's just, let's start with you. One of the questions that I saw in variation, probably six times, how do you know your waiting will be worth it? You're like, I'm good to wait. But I mean, how do I know it's going to be worth it on the other side?
1: Some of the things that we wait on are things that we may follow the formula, but the result is not the same. And so I was thinking of where you guys in, are in your life and you're waiting for sex, you're waiting for marriage you're waiting for a child, you're waiting for a career that makes you excited to go to work every day. Um, You're waiting for desire for life choices. Because I think about up until this point, you're in third grade and everyone around you agrees that fourth grade is the next best option for you. Right? Everyone agrees. No one thinks you should do anything else but fourth grade. But now you're at a point where it's not obvious what's next. All the people aren't in agreement. And some people don't even know what to say. And you don't either. And so what is What's after fourth grade? We don't know. And so all these things are you're waiting on, sometimes you don't even know what you're waiting for. So that, to me, would be the first question. And everything I answer in this assumes that you are a follower of Christ. Otherwise, it's going to seem like foolishness, possibly. So then it comes down to the things that you're waiting for. Are they, are they things that God promised? Because I was mistaken in believing some things that were American promises, Being an American says, you deserve this. This is something that if you earn it, it belongs to you. And so the reason she asked me is because my story is kind of bloody. And so I've gone through incredible infertility and a husband with a sex addiction and divorce and lots of major things that cause you to wait. And when you follow the rules, it's really hard to not expect the result that I deserve. And so that is not of the Lord. And so you go back through scripture and look. What did he actually promise? Okay, so then we think about all the verses that are curly on people's pallywood in their house, and you know, all things work for good for those who love God, in Jeremiah 29 11, right? We all know these verses, but then you have to define what is good. Is good pain free? Is good perfect husband? Is good 12 children? Is good no debt? What is good? And then God's definition of good and our definition of good is entirely different. American good means easy. God's good means deep waters. And that's, that's totally different. So thinking about those verses, which make us feel better, but, but they don't pan out in the hard stuff. And then the formula. I think about what is God's job in the waiting and what's my job? Because sometimes you think, am I supposed to be hustling right now? Or am I supposed to be sitting and waiting on him to drop it on my doorstep and trying to figure out What's what's God's job? What's my job? And so, and I'm a formula person. Give me give me ten steps. I'll be on step three by tomorrow. No problem. But understanding that our steps, like you said, step one, abide. Step two, abide. Step three, abide. And in that, it it doesn't always end on the result we think we deserve. Even when we did it right, she got all everything she wanted. I did the same thing. Mine's all screwed up. And so, the abiding is what. Is the end of the day what our job is, and if our goal in life is to serve the Lord, then we'll get there. If our goal in life is perfect American dream, it may not happen for us. So, to answer the question, is waiting worth it? It depends what you're waiting for.
0: I think anyone who has any sort of achieving personality, you're like, I did the checklist, I did what my mom told me to do. You know, I, I, you know, I was raised here. I did that. How did you? reconcile the fact that I checked it all off and now I have to wait for a, a completely new season. I have to wait for this to work out now and however it's going to,
1: you know? Well, often the dis- disheartening side of that is you have to start over each time. Like if any of you are trying to have a child, every time you have your period, it's like ground zero again, every time or every time you think your marriage is okay. We had a good time with the counselor. We're going to try it out, fail back to zero mm-hmm. And so like the starting over back at zero each time. Your question about how to reconcile when it doesn't end like you think it will is to surrender that it's not all about me. So we are made in God's image, which means we are glory seekers. We want things like we want them and we want praise while it's happening. That's in God's image. But guess what? He deserves that. And we do not. So that is our nature But it's off because we are not equal to God and we fall on the side, I think, of shame, which is God's not really that good or he doesn't love me that much or pride, which is isn't he lucky that he has me to have a quiet time with him because he was lonely and we're pals, you know, and so usually people land on one side or the other, the shame people and the pride people, but both both ones are are not are not right. So we're always falling off one side or the other, which means that's where we have to stay in the middle. So when it doesn't end like you thought, for me, in a marriage of 16 years that has a dramatic catastrophe finish, to realize like it doesn't have to define who I am. The things that didn't happen like I thought, it doesn't define me. And so I can let it. I can be bitter the rest of my life, and everybody will agree I deserve to be a bitter old woman, but I don't want that. So to decide
0: it's going to be different. I love what you said. Everyone feels like everyone would tell me I'm right. I think it is so easy to be like, well, everyone tells me I should feel this way and I deserve to feel this way. So I'm just gonna feel this way even more. And I think there's a danger even in waiting of that. Like, yeah, you should want that. You should want out of this season. And I'm one of those that's like, let me give you 15 solutions of how you can get out of this now, right? Like you do this, this, and this, you'll be you'll be good to go. And I have no right to speak that. I have no right to, to say that. But that leads to the next question for you, Katie, is how can you find contentment right where you are, even if you are still in the waiting.
2: Just to be honest, um, I do not have a lot of experience speaking, but I do have a lot of experience waiting, <laughs> which is why you're here. sis. <laughs> um, so, no, definitely not an expert, but just to give you just a small background. Um, about seven years ago, when my youngest was born, I had a six-week-old weeks six week old, and the FBI showed up at my front door to tell me that I was going to be involved in a huge federal case that would go on for the next five years of my life. Mm-hmm. And six weeks after that, I found out that I had breast cancer and that I would be going through chemotherapy with a three-month-old, a two-year-old, a six-year-old and all while going through a federal um, trial. You are an expert. I'm Lots of waiting, lots of waiting, lots of waiting. But I think for one thing, I want to say that it's not something that comes easily finding contentment in that I fought tooth and nail for this is not fair. And like you say, everybody comes up to you saying, gosh, do you feel like Job? Gosh, do you feel like you're cursed? <laughs> do you feel like you deserve it? Like, you know, just yeah. so many different things And it. And I think that what I learned is that the only way to find the the true contentment is just to lean into what's happening. I had to lean into like, this is my life. This is what God's doing it. And that honestly, I have to be willing to let every single dream of mine go up in flames and still want to live for the kingdom. Mm -hmm. I, I have to be willing to look at the, I may die. I may have to go to prison. I may have to do all these things that seem like the worst things I could think of and still be willing to live for Jesus. And whenever you can get to the point where you know that above all else, that we're living for eternity and not for what is of this world, that you can't try to find true contentment until then.
0: So in that, I mean, you know, that, that leads to honestly, perfectly the next question. How do you wait for God to open the door on what you believe he's called you to? So Katie, whatever you have, and then we can pass it on to Mindy. I just think that number one,
2: that, you know, we do know that he works for good, but we also have to acknowledge that we may not see it here on earth. We have to acknowledge that that may not be a reality for us, but that we believe in our heart that we're living for eternity and we have that hope in Jesus. And so we just, have to believe above all else that he does work for our good.
0: But yeah, that's I'm trying to think isn't that the answer? Like all of us in the room were like, Yeah, we know that, but Katie, but we're we want you to tell us how oh, to do you know, like yeah. I, you, I
2: I mean, I've come up with mantras and journals, <laughs> and you know, I mean, there's so many different things, but I mean, just like what you were saying earlier, like with less of us, there's more of God. And so the more desperate and the more almost the more you your soul is starved for that desperation for Christ, then the closer you'll be to him. And then it honestly becomes something somewhat of that you crave. And and it's just so hard to think. I look back now, now that I'm not in a season of waiting, thank heavens. You know, I look back and I I think that was my biggest fear was whenever I was removed from the season of waiting, I didn't want to go back to normal. I didn't want to go back to not having that desperation for Christ, which um, seems crazy, but you don't want to go back from that stage of where you feel that closeness
0: you know, nothing else is going to fix it. You just come to that, that realization. So Mindy, the specific question was, how do you wait for God to open the door on what you believe he has called you to do? So for those who are sitting in seasons of, I know this is for me. I know this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I feel it deeply, but I'm not doing it right now.
1: I think about systems. If you have a city planner that designs Knoxville and you decide, i want to go from North Knoxville to South Knoxville. And all these people over here are like, I'm writing books about the best way to do that. And these people are making podcasts. You've heard of those people, you know, all about it. And these are some theories about, I've heard of people that went this way and this way, but, or you can ask the city planner, who's the one who made the roads, who designed the best way. And he is the one that made the design of you, your desires, the ones that you're waiting on most likely he put them there. It's his fault that you want those things. So he doesn't fault you for wanting them because they're from him. And so his way to do it is going to be for sure the best way. And I was wondering, does anyone have an arrow? Did anyone bring an arrow today?
0: This is oh, Mindy, yes. this feels planned. This feels planned. Well, some people bring them when they get coffee. You know, some just, you just need them when you show up at the coffee house. It makes sense. Yes. You hold this for me, Kenny?:
1: Okay. Oh so some things you, you want to know God's voice, but the moment you want to know it, you need to have already been familiar with it. So learning God's voice and communicating with him well when it's a time of desperation, it's a familiar voice instead of a stranger's voice. And I feel like that's common when people hit a life crisis, their prayer life increases dramatically because, but it's confusing because it's that God's voice or something I ate, you know, like, am I talking to the ceiling? Probably, you know, just all those feelings that you feel, am I wasting my time? So this arrow, when it's ready to go for whatever's happening, all these things have to be in place. And the better that they're in place the better it's going to fly. And you can't fix them in route. So this is a time in the time of waiting. It can be a passive waiting or you think about like if you're waiting on someone, you're serving them. It's active. So you can think of waiting as not as I'm sitting still tears on my pillow or active. I'm forming things that will serve in the future. But when it's let go, there's no more time to learn those things for his voice to be so familiar. Not that you missed your chance, but that you are you are honing in on some skills and character building that you will need for whatever it is. And when you get there, you're going to find out, oh, this has tough parts too. My life is not 100% better if I get that thing. And then you have the next thing. Because once you get there, you think, I'm going to be happy every day. No, there's going to be another crisis. There's going to be another thing that ensign you in desperation. And you're going to have a best run that turns on you. And you're going to have, a, there's always going to be betrayal and Crisis and everywhere you go. So it's a skill you're going to have for always.
0: What have you worked on personally when you're in those seasons? When you're like, I'm not quite where I thought I would be or doing what I thought I'd be doing. What have you worked on in your own life when you're in those waiting seasons that's more active?
1: I think that when I can't manufacture desire, because that's something I want to want to read the word every morning, right? I wish I wanted to pray all day is I have to do with my body what I wish my heart would do. So serving, it'll flip your brain real quick if you stop looking at your own belly button and turn out here and find somebody else. And you're going to find there's a whole club of people that have been where you are because what Satan would love to do is to pick you off, isolate you, make you feel like nobody understands how I feel. I'm the only one. Everyone else is happy. I'm miserable. I can't let them know. But there are women that are dealing with what you're doing. And there is nothing new under the sun. The feelings that you have are there. So I I have to force my body to do what I wish my heart would do. And I kind of fake it till I make it.
0: Gosh, I feel that. Katie, you know, sometimes off of that, waiting can feel like a punishment. You have done something to deserve this. You did a misstep. You got something wrong. And God was like, no, I'm going to make them wait now for this. Like I had all all of this planned for you, but nope you, you know, you, you got it wrong. I'm not giving it to you. I think it's easy to get into that mindset. So how do you change your mindset away from that?
2: Well, I think that, I mean, it's, it's funny that you say that because I would say that growing up and all throughout like my young adult life, I was not good at waiting because everything came pretty easily. (laughs) So it was kind of a funny turn of events. Like, you know, got married right after college, had three kids really easily. Everything just seemed to like be put into place. And then the curse of the next five years ensued, you know, and so it it seemed like, how can I change this mindset to not think that like, what did I do? Is it because everything was so easy that now I'm, I needed some heartache. Now I needed needed some heartache. I had two parents that loved me. I had a loving brother, like Mm -hmm. everything. Did I, did I need to be faced with something harder? And then, you know, there was a time that I remember being very sick and laying in bed and, um, just sick from chemotherapy and sick of thinking that I had to not only go to chemotherapy, but get up the next morning to go see a lawyer and telling my husband, you know what, this would just be easier if you were with someone else. If God would just take me away right now, this would just be easier, honestly. And my husband, who I really wanted to curl up and let me just cry for hours with, just said, get up that's not the God that we believe in. He doesn't work that way. He doesn't, he doesn't punish you. That is, that is Satan Mm -hmm. telling you those things. That is Satan, Satan wanting you to think that you've done something to deserve this. Mm And, and, and that's kind of what I do with my mindset is like, I know God doesn't keep score. He doesn't, keep tally on who's had hard things. And he, you know, we tend to wait for the other shoe to drop. I feel like mm-hmm. we're always waiting for like, what's the next thing. But I just, you know, I, I have friends that it's so funny. They'll be like, I really want to have that closeness and that desperate relationship, but I don't want to go through any of those things that you went through, you know? Right. And so it's, they find themselves like, well, what's going to be my thing? What's going to be the thing that I have to struggle mm-hmm. with? And, and I just think that we have to know that and be prepared that we're all going to have to be in a season of waiting, whether it's now or whether it's later. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, but yeah, I mean, I think that's just a mindset of training your mind to know that, that God doesn't work that way. God doesn't punish those. God doesn't
0: keep score. Mm-hmm. I remember specifically when I had Henley, my first, she's six now, but I remember when I had her, I became this anxious person out of nowhere. Like I was not an anxious person. Then all of a sudden I was like, we're all going to die in a car accident. Like that's what's going to happen. Or like, you know, like everything was like, something terrible is going to happen. And I remember specifically praying, God, I want you to like grow my faithfulness and grow my patience, but don't do any of it by messing with Henley. Okay. I literally remember in my hormonal kookiness being like, okay, God, let me set some parameters for you. Like, I want you to grow me. I want to be stronger. I want to like do things in your name. But like, here's some things I, could, I don't want you to touch. Like, don't mess with this stuff, right? I love how you said, it's not like God's keeping a score of, oh, she had a hard thing. I'm not going to give this to her. You, now you have had it too easy. Like here is, you know, like here's something terrible that you're going to have to figure your way through. And a, a friend of mine once said, we give God our own personality traits. Like we make him human right so we we think that we know how he thinks because we understand how we think so well and we project our thoughts onto him and that is never his nature or his character but i think the the biggest question of the night which is for both of you is how do you wait well we want this to be a season that we are proud of how we did it and that we can point back to and this is a story that we want to tell so how do we wait well
2: i I think, I mean, the key to waiting well in any season is just a complete surrender Mm -hmm. and abandonment of yourself to Christ. I mean, just every single day, you know, I I would go in seasons where I feel like it got easier and I would let the world creep back into letting me worry about small things and little Mm -hmm. things. And that's not who I wanted to be. And I just, I think just having that complete surrender and abandonment to God And that lay on the floor desperation, and I promise you, if you are going through a season and you do seek that desperation, it's crazy how joyful you'll be in the midst of like your sorrows. I mean, it it really is. It's it's crazy. I mean, if you've ever seen anybody go through like a terrible illness or something where they know that they're going to pass away and you Mm -hmm. see them attain that peace. And it's like, that's the best example I can give you of the kind of peace that you'll get if you can have that. Full and total surrender mm. to God. Mm-hmm.
1: I think to cast out the idea that you're going to be satisfied here on earth, that you're going to be completely at home here, mm. at ease, without pain. And if you keep working toward that, you're only going to be frustrated. This is not your home. You're never going to feel 100% at home here. So if you can anticipate life is hard, it will always be hard. Even when you get that thing you're waiting for, it's still hard. And even though other people look like it's not because they're way shinier and they smell better, it's still hard for them. You just can't see it. Some people's hard showed up like ours did and everybody had to see it, but some people's it's, it's in their mind. And so and that's the next part is we think a special diet, a certain number of calories a day or a special organization in my sock drawer, or like these things are going to bring me the peace that I need. Life is lived in your head. And so if you want to spend time on anything that changes your life, it's your thought life because that's where life happens in the small, like simple in traffic on the way here, the car in front of you is being an idiot, the car behind you, somebody, if you can change your thought of they're going through something, they've got kidney stones, they're delivering a baby, whatever it is, it gets in your head. Then your patience is unbelievable. You're not angry anymore. And you think about the people that are offending you and the other people's sin that, splashes all over you and affects your life and you didn't deserve it and you didn't cause it the way that and because I had people oh they wanted me to trash my ex-husband and make him pay and make you know you have every reason to be mad you have every reason to act that way well you know what I don't want to be like that I don't want to change my character because I deserve to act like that and you're going to have people that tell you what you deserve to do but that doesn't mean you have to be that woman and finally life is defined by what you're focused on and then all this comes down to what do you believe God wants for you? Do you think he has a ladder for you? And, oh, you got up or wrong. Oh, but you fell too. And you're trying to get to him, but he keeps like, well, how about this? How about this? He wants you to have abundant life. Not American abundant, but deep waters, true heart, abundant life. And it's true. And if you don't believe it, get to know him. Ask him who he is outside of the flannel graphs and the Awanas, and all those things. Who are you? Who are you? Ask him. Ask him to show you. Ask him to give it to you in a dream. Ask him for new friends if you need new friends. Ask him. He wants to give it to you. He wants you to have an abundant life. He's not withholding from you right now. The effects of life on earth, the sin of others that affects you, it's not fair. Life's not fair. Life's hard every time, every time. And so to realize Knowing him for whatever's coming next will always pay off. No matter what it is, it will benefit you.
0: Just real quick for both of you in your seasons that were such a public form of waiting. What did you appreciate most out of the friends who were waiting with you? What did they do for you that you look back and you're like, that's the kind of friend I want to be to somebody else. Lasagna. Carbs. Yes. Yes. Eat your feelings. That's my heart. I'm not having a funny answer, but
2: I'm just thinking. So I think my friends, I mean, they were just there every step of the way. I mean, just there to be mad, there to be scared. I mean, honestly, I feel like everything I went through, they went through as well. And I feel like everything that God showed me, he showed them too. I think them telling me the hard stuff sometimes and acknowledging the hard stuff and not making me feel like it was all going to be okay. (laughs) You know, just acknowledging the fact that this is hard this sucks. This is not fair, but these are the truths that we know. And just being there to remind me of what God says about who I am and what I'm going through.
1: And I would say the people that were honest, because some people say, I'm not going to ask you that question because I don't want to make you cry, but just ask them whatever it is that, that painful thing, ask them about it. They want to talk about it. They're thinking about it all the time. So ask them about I it. I
0: want someone to And ask don't say,
1: is there anything I can do for you? Call me and let me know. Whoever says that, whoever calls and says, okay, I thought of something. Hey, I thought of
0: something I need you to do for me real quick. No,
1: just go do it. Just go do it. If they don't receive it well, or if it's bad timing, it's okay. Just do it anyway.
0: Even the point you made about the way we pray. Like I talked about these prophets in the Old Testament. Y'all need to go read the way that they prayed. They were so close to God and understood him so well that their prayer is lined up with his will. And I think the step one is the abiding and then how you pray about it. Yes. And I will say one thing, something I'm learning about prayer is when you ask
1: the Lord for something, which he, he tells us to ask him for things to add a so that, why do we want it? And it helps you form like, oh, so that I'm happier. I bet that's not what you're into. So like whatever you're asking for, Lord, may this so
0: that what?
1: And so it has, it
0: has altered my life because the prophets, their prayers were always, Hey, God, do this so that they know you are God, like Mm -hmm. do this so that they know to follow you. That's so true. Yes. Accountability within your prayer. All right. Let's pray.